You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Before we dive into today's topic of the differences between classes and workshops, I want to invite you to grab my brand new freebie. It's a download of 100 yoga workshop ideas. You can get it at teachingyoga.net slash 100 workshops. There's also a link in the show notes for this episode. You can click that right from your podcast player. Workshops are such a fun way to teach yoga because you start with a room full of people who are excited about the topic that you're offering, and then you get to go much deeper than you do in a regular class. Depending on the topic and the style that you usually teach, it might also be a relief to get to put aside the worry about giving people enough of a workout and instead focus on teaching the nuances of a specific subject that you are very passionate about. Today, I'm going to share with you my thoughts about the differences between workshops and classes, how you can use these differences to help your students see the value of each one, and how this knowledge can improve both your workshops and your weekly classes. The most obvious difference between a class and a workshop is that the classes are ongoing and the workshop is a special event. Often, you can simply drop into a class while most workshops require pre-registration. There's a type of class that's a hybrid between a workshop and a class, and that's a pre-registered series. I think of series classes as generally being a bit more like a workshop that's broken up into sections. So most of what I'm going to talk about today are going to apply to series classes as well. When you teach ongoing drop-in classes, there's no urgency to attend a specific class. People come and go, and you'll usually have a different mix each class. Workshops, on the other hand, are positioned as special events that will potentially trigger FOMO in the target audience. That is, the fear of missing out. FOMO has ups and downs, pluses and minuses, but as a teacher hoping to motivate your students to attend class, it's a pretty big benefit for workshops. Another difference is the length of time. Workshops are usually longer than classes. Yoga classes tend to range in length from 60 to 90 minutes, though I've heard of some 30 to 45 minute classes in certain situations. While workshops often start at two hours and can go an entire weekend. Workshops that last an entire weekend generally are broken down into three to five sections, each with their own theme. These sections sometimes stand alone, meaning students are able to pick and choose which sections they would like to attend and pay for each one separately. When a weekend workshop is designed to be taken as a whole with one module leading into the next, it could be considered more of a training than a workshop. Leading a training or even a weekend workshop is definitely a more advanced skill, and it's a good idea to have taught a bunch of shorter workshops before you take on such a big project. Standalone workshops usually last somewhere between two and four hours. Four hours is about as long as it's reasonable to expect people to focus without a significant break. Anything longer than two hours should definitely have many breaks built in. Another important difference between classes and workshops is the emphasis on information versus experience. In general, classes tend to focus more on being a practice, where students might get into a zone and stay there, 
while workshops are focused on teaching information about a specific topic. There are definitely exceptions to this. Some workshops are more experiential, such as a candlelight restorative workshop, and some styles of yoga offer classes that are more learning-focused. The best-known style that teaches drop-in classes that are more like mini-workshops that I know about is Iyengar yoga. In an Iyengar class, you'll break down five to six poses in great detail, stopping after each pose to gather and watch the teacher demonstrate. I'm not an expert in Iyengar yoga, but I am guessing that there's an expectation that you're going to practice on your own at home, and that's partially why the classes are more like a workshop. On that note, one trend that I've noticed with the increased popularity of yoga and the increased availability of classes throughout the day is that students tend to want to use their classes as their practice instead of using the classes to learn and practice on their own at home. This seems to be becoming more and more prevalent where students expect to be able to go to a studio every time they practice. This has led to a plethora of vinyasa style classes where there is continuous movement throughout the entire class, and you might get the feedback or the impression that students don't really want to stop moving a whole bunch to watch demonstrations. So if you teach classes that are more like an experience and you find yourself holding back information so as to not disturb your students' experience, a workshop could be a really fun change of pace for you. On the other hand, if your classes tend to be more informational and the style you teach involves stopping and starting in a lot of demos, then you might consider teaching a more experiential type workshop. Your students would probably enjoy getting to see a different side of you and getting to sink into a special experience. While some classes have a very specific name or topic, such as prenatal yoga or yoga for back care, many classes are purposefully kept very general in audience and topic in order to welcome the broadest population possible. Ongoing weekly classes usually have names that describe the general style and the intensity that you can expect, such as slow flow, power flow, yin, or gentle. How a teacher interprets the description of their class will vary greatly, and what they teach from week to week might range from detailed alignment to esoteric philosophy. Workshops, on the other hand, tend to be very specific as far as the topic, though often a bit less clear about the level of physicality. That might be partially because the format of being more information-focused lends itself better to teaching people at various levels of physical ability. It's important to remember that these levels of physical ability don't correlate to somebody's advancement in yoga because yoga is primarily about learning to manage your mind. The more you're moving and the faster you're moving, the more difficult it is to accommodate a wide variety of body types and physical abilities. Really skillful teachers can definitely accommodate multiple levels of ability in a class setting, but it's much easier to do so in a workshop. Workshops usually cost a bit more than a drop-in class, but how much more depends on your market and also the value your students perceive in what you're offering. When you charge a bit more for a workshop than a class, you do attract people who are more excited about the topic. While many students attend regular drop-in yoga classes simply because the time fits their schedule, I've never heard of a student attending a workshop based just on the time. That means you're going to have a more engaged group of students in your workshops, and that makes workshops extremely rewarding to teach. 
I've had yoga teachers share with me that they feel nervous to offer a workshop because they don't feel qualified to teach on a specific topic for more than 90 minutes. Here's the thing. As long as you are well planned for your workshop, filling up the time is not going to be a problem. Usually teachers have more trouble paring down what they want to teach about. Just because your workshop is two hours does not mean that you're going to be talking for two hours straight. In fact, I highly recommend breaking your workshop up into little chunks. Remember, most people learn by doing. So the best learning-based workshops are going to alternate between lecture, practice, and discussion. You'll be completely blown away by how quickly time passes when you teach this way. So to summarize, the main differences between classes and workshops are the frequency and the duration. Classes being offered regularly, workshops one-off, or perhaps as a series, classes being shorter, and workshops longer. You can also get more specific in your topic and your audience for a workshop, while more general and more broad in your level of physicality. The cost for a workshop is a bit higher to reflect the longer duration, or perhaps significantly higher, depending on what the result you're offering to your students. You do not have to be a super experienced yoga teacher in order to offer workshops. If you're qualified to teach a yoga class, then I believe you are qualified to teach a yoga workshop as long as you're thoughtful about the topic you choose and the promises that you make. Even if you just started teaching, you might find that you're actually better suited to teaching workshop style. That's because a lot of times new teachers have a hard time knowing what to cut out of their classes. They want to share everything that they know. And in a workshop, it's more appropriate to do that. If you're feeling excited about teaching your own workshop, and I hope you are, stick with me because the next three episodes are also about teaching workshops. Keep your eyes and ears open because in January, I'm teaching a free masterclass about the three keys to a stellar yoga workshop. Registration is not yet open for that, but come back next week for information on how to register. In the meanwhile, grab my download of 100 yoga workshop ideas at teachingyoga.net slash 100 workshops. Then come back next week for an on-air coaching call about how to choose a yoga workshop topic. If you're listening to this episode as it's released, it is the week before Christmas. So I hope you are enjoying the holidays. I hope that whatever you celebrate, whether it is Christmas, solstice, or something entirely different. I hope you find a way to mark the passing of time and mark the seasons that feels authentic to you, that feels meaningful to you, and that brings you closer with the people that you care about. Here's what my plans are for Christmas Day, which I don't love celebrating Christmas. I'm not a Christian, but Because it's the day that in this culture, everything is shut down, we do end up doing some celebration on that day. What my family is planning to do is go to see the winter lights at the North Carolina Arboretum. We're going to sneak our own hot chocolate in. Don't tell anyone. And that's going to be our evening together. During the day, we'll probably take a walk. We'll probably have a nice breakfast. 
Oh, and I think we're going to do stockings. That's what my older daughter has requested. But for this year is the first year ever that she's offered to do a stocking for me. And if you've heard a little bit about my journey with her on previous episodes where I've talked about this, she's on the autism spectrum. So for her, even at age 17, to be thoughtful enough to realize like, oh, if mom's in charge of stockings, that means nobody's going to make one for her. That's a really big milestone. So that's really meaningful to me. Then the day after Christmas, my husband and I are taking just our little daughter, our four-year-old, to the Great Smoky Mountains Railway in Bryson City, and we're going to get on the Polar Express train where I guess they're going to play music from the Polar Express movie and serve hot chocolate. There's a theme here. I do like my hot chocolate. And I think that Santa comes on at the very end. And again, with characters like Santa and the Tooth Fairy, I'm a little conflicted, but I've recently made some peace with it in realizing that my four-year-old lives in a world where anything is possible. And I'm constantly participating in fantasy games of all of a sudden we're a family of bears. That was this morning. So if I'm willing to pretend to be a bear, I can also be willing to pretend in a given moment that Santa exists. And if she asks me, I'll tell her, no, it's a made up story, just like the bears. (laughs) And so that's kind of where I've come to these days on the games and the fantasies of holiday characters I'll play along when it's fun to play along, and I will be honest if there is a moment where that's what's appropriate. So friends, I would love to hear what you're doing for the holidays, how you have made peace with the traditions of the culture, whether you are connected to those traditions or not. You can come onto the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group and check in with me and let me know what you think about that because I'm really curious. If you're not yet a member, you can join at teachingyoga.net slash join. And whether you have a lot of space and time for your holidays or things are crazy with family, I hope that you will make time for your personal practice for whatever nourishes you and brings you back to your center.